the FT. Welcome to the World Weekly Podcast. I'm Ben Hall, standing in for Gideon Rackman. This week, we're discussing Cyprus, now the epicentre of the Eurozone crisis. After a failed bailout plan that involved taxing the deposits of the smallest savers in Cyprus, lawmakers on the island are scrabbling around for an alternative before Monday, when the European Central Bank will cut emergency liquidity to Cyprus's foundering banks. Joining me to discuss what's happened, what lies ahead, and the implications of the latest turn in the Eurozone crisis are Patrick Jenkins, our banking editor, Karen Hope, our Greece and Cyprus correspondent, who's on the phone from Nicosia, and Peter Spiegel, our Brussels bureau chief, who's on the phone from Brussels. Karen, can I come to you first? How did Cyprus get into this awful mess? They have had two big banks which were competing very aggressively with each other for market share. So they were lending to property developers, lending to slightly dubious companies in Greece. And when the property bubble collapsed and when Greece's recession started, the two big banks were in deep trouble. The Russian money has been a huge business. It's now 40% of the economy and maybe 20, 30,000 people are involved in it. And that was seen as investment rather than moving money around. And everybody was making a lot of money out of it. There appears to be little confidence elsewhere in Europe in the Cypriot leadership. What's gone wrong on that front? The president is very new. Um, Nikos Anastasiades was only elected a couple of weeks ago. He's struggling with a crisis that he didn't create. The previous communist administration got Cyprus into trouble by resisting a bailout for about nine months. So he was left picking up the pieces. He doesn't have a majority in parliament. It's 28 uh, for him and his so-called allies who deserted him at the parliamentary vote on Tuesday and 28 for everybody else. So he's in a very weak position. And of course, he's extremely inexperienced at dealing with the European Union. And tell us how the Cypriots themselves are living through this crisis. They're very frightened at this point. They rush around every day to get as much money as they can out of the cash point, piling it at home. They are scared that they're going to lose all their deposits because these two big banks, Bank of Cyprus and Lyke Bank, may go under in the next week or so, and a lot of deposits will be lost. They're worried about unemployment, which is now at 15%. And they haven't been in this situation of such political uncertainty and, and financial anxiety since 1974, when the, when the Turks invaded and split the island. Peter, the Eurozone leaders took a decision last year to keep Greece inside the Eurozone. They don't seem to be so unambiguous about Cyprus. Well, I think, in fairness, they thought this program that they had offered to them on Saturday would indeed do that. You know, their view of Anastasiades was, you know, here is a guy who ran on a platform is, I will solve this problem. You know, Christophius, his predecessor, his communist predecessor, not only had delayed over the nine months since he first requested a bailout, but Cyprus has been cut off from the financial markets for almost two years. So he almost delayed for, for, for nearly two years. They saw Anastasiades as a guy who had the political backing uh, of his countrymen to solve this. And I think they thought, uh, genuinely, that this was a plan that would return the separate banking sector to a proper size, would able not to overload it with debt, and would allow it to sort of return to some semblance of a, a small but still manageable financial system. When this all imploded and he went back to Nicosia and, and could not get support, 
I think the frustration has really mounted because there was a lot of finger pointing by the Cypriot government that it's always oh, not my fault. This was the, the ECB's fault. This was the EU's fault. This was the Eurozone's fault. When Anastasiades was in there in the negotiations and signed up to this. So I think some of the sentiment you're getting that perhaps they're not as enthusiastic about keeping Cyprus in the euro is just a reflection of the frustration. I don't think anyone in that room really wants Cyprus out. I think they realize that any time any country were to, if they were to leave the euro, it no longer becomes a currency union anymore. It's basically a fixed exchange mechanism. Uh, and it, this whole idea of the, turning the eurozone into some sort of political union over the course of the next two years to two to five years basically is, is not going to happen. So I think you know, they know intellectually that they cannot allow Cyprus to leave, but both for negotiating purposes, but also for pure frustration, uh, they're letting them hang in the wind a, bit, a little bit. Do you think the game of brinkmanship uh, with the Cypriots uh, will pay off? Will the Cypriots actually come up with a workable solution? They certainly think so. Uh, when I talk to Eurozone leaders, you know, both on the record and, and in private, they think this ratcheting up the pressure, first, they, 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 are, they are almost certain that the Russian overtures are not going to go anywhere. So once they cut off that avenue, then we've seen the ECB announce it's going to cut off all its emergency funding for Cypriot banks by Monday, essentially bringing down the entire banking sector. As every little avenue begins to be shut off and, and the, the Cypriot government realizes the, the, its fate, that it basically is facing the entire collapse of its entire banking sector, the wiping out of all deposits, and, and, and frankly, a return to the pound, um, I, they think that they will wake up much the same way that the Greek voters did a year ago when they realized that if they had voted for an anti-bailout party, they were going to leave the euro and, and have a collapse of their banking sector as well. So I think that is their plan. Whether it's going to work that way, I must say, they've been a bit baffled that it hasn't uh, turned the, 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 the focus the brains of the Cypriot authorities as of yet. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, weekend to see if they can actually uh, get there. Karen, do you think the um, Cypriot political leaders are, uh, or political parties are prepared to accept some solution that probably inevitably is going to require deposit holders taking some of the pain? I think in the end they will because they don't want to be isolated. They don't want to be forced out of the euro, um, which would be the alternative. They don't want to go back to the pound. There's a lot of hysteria around, um, immense amounts of posturing. They will take it right down to the line. But in the end, something will happen and there will be some kind of face-saving solution in which there will be some deposit losers will lose money immediately and a whole lot more will when the banking system is restructured. Patrick, do you think the Cypriot banking system can survive even if they do find a solution over the next few days? I think it all depends what kind of solution is found. If there is some kind of Russian involvement in the bailout, which would clearly be in Russia's interest to some degree, given the extent of the deposits in the Cypriot system that are Russian, then I think the scale of the the, the banking sector will shrink definitely, but it could remain an offshore centre in some measure. I mean, if you look back at why these Cypriot banks got into trouble in the first place, as Kerin says, their assets, the, the loans that they made to the Greek government, to property owners in Greece and in Cyprus as well, got into trouble. But also, one of their root problems was that they had too much money to invest. It was a kind of problem that not many banks in the world have faced. But because they uh, 
had taken in so much in the form of deposits from Russian investors in particular, they were left with the problem of what do we do with this? And they made some very bad decisions about where they put that money. Going forward, if those deposits shrink, that's probably a good thing because you get back to a more core Cyprus-focused banking system. But as I said, it depends what solution is found as to the extent to which that market will shrink. Uh, In the immediate aftermath of any solution, though, we're still facing the prospect of some kind of run on deposits because people have been so scared by the events of the last few days. Is the system robust enough to cope with that? Well, as I say, there is a vast amount of deposits in the system. Unlike many other markets around the world, the Cypriot banking system is almost exclusively deposit funded, which is a good thing because Cypriot banks couldn't raise bonds in the market and haven't been able to, as Peter says. Um, at all. Anybody in Cyprus hasn't been able to raise bond finance for some time. In that sense, the ramifications will be that there's bound to be a a bit of withdrawal of deposits, even if the extent of deposit taxes is limited, people will want to get their hands on at least some of what's left in the banks. I think what really worries everybody is the extent to which that would be copied by other parts of the Eurozone, whether depositors in Spain and in Italy in particular would take a lesson from this, that their deposits aren't safe. And that the next time, in particular, if tensions return at a macro level to those countries over the following months, then we will see such nervousness among depositors that they want to withdraw now that that Rubicon has been crossed in terms of depositors being hit. And Karen, do Cypriot political leaders accept that they need to downsize their financial sector? And can the economy survive without all of this Russian money? I think that's the big problem, that they want to keep the financial sector as big as possible because it's got so big, feeds so many people, um, including the many of the politicians on the on Mr. Anastasiadis' party, political support, and some of his MPs are lawyers who look after the Russian money. So they feel their, their interests, they want to protect their interests. If they weren't, if Cyprus wasn't a, a financial centre, the only other source of revenue would be tourism. And Cypriot tourism is very expensive compared to some of the neighbours, um, Croatia, Turkey, and has been declining over the last decade. So if there's a massive flight of capital, which now looks pretty likely, there are 13 Russian jets parked on the tarmac at Lanaka Airport waiting for the banks to reopen, and the owners of Russian companies are have piles and piles of instructions for their lawyers here to take money out, then it looks like they're going to have to find something else to do, and that will be difficult. So we would see, I think, a steady decline in separate GDP, at least over the next four or five years, until they can think of something else to come up with. Peter, do Eurozone policymakers have any regrets for allowing this idea of breaching the deposit guarantee by um, levying deposits under €100,000, do they have regrets of allowing that sort of cat out of the bag? It is the one, when you talk to them, it is the one area they wish they had communicated better, is how they put it. Uh, They still insist this is a levy, this is a tax, this is not a violation of the guarantee scheme. But they said, you know, from day one, they should have made it clearer that this was not a violation of the deposit guarantee scheme. And one, other, one official said to me, look, if we had not set it at 100,000, if we had not said the levy would be big above and, and small below that level, that 100,000 euros is the same level as the deposit guarantee scheme. So people put two and two together and said, ah, they're going after the people in 
that, that were supposed to be covered by the deposit guarantee scheme, if they put that figure at, I don't know, 50000 or, or 250000 they, they think the communication of this would have been better. So they still insist, they still insist that this is not a violation because it is a tax. But you know, you've heard voices, particularly in the European Parliament now, saying, hey, we're setting up an entire new system here, a new banking union that is based on this hierarchy of, of you know, bank bail-ins is what they're called. You know, you first you hit your junior bondholders, then you hit your senior bondholders, then you hit your depositors. If suddenly we're going after depositors and jumping the queue there, why are we having this huge debate? Haven't we just violated the entire agreement we're trying to reach? So it has become the one issue that officials feel they should have dealt with better. They still maintain they're legally able to do this, but I think they feel that they may have done it a different way in order to not worry people so much that those schemes may be invaluable. Patrick, does the Eurozone, do the Eurozone authorities need to do more to shore up confidence elsewhere in the bloc? I think the point that Peter made there was absolutely spot on because, interestingly, although some bondholders haven't been hit by this, the senior uh, unsecured bondholders are not being hit in this proposal, ironically, it's actually bondholders that feel the most spooked by the, the hit on depositors simply because that principle of the hierarchy is not being honoured. It's also unclear, actually, you know, you mentioned that the, the hierarchy of bondholders, but also as equity holders who would normally be wiped out first in an instance like this. And it, it probably will end up that way, depending on how the mechanics of the bailout end up. But it hasn't been specified in the initial agreement. And therefore, I think there's even more uncertainty being caused by that even more uh, sense of being spooked among bond investors, which is obviously a crucial thing to have uh, that state of mind among investors who, after all, are not just investors in Cyprus, they're investors in the whole of the Eurozone and the whole of the world. Okay, I'm going to put you all on the spot here and ask you whether Cyprus will still be in the Eurozone by the end of this month. Patrick? I suspect they will be. My forecast would be uh, I slightly disagree with the others, and even though they're probably far closer to it than I, I envisage there will be a significant Russian involvement in a bailout alongside the EU, and that we will have Russian ownership of the banks, potentially, as well as of the um, other assets in, in Cyprus, you know, the gas fields and so on. Peter? Um, I also think that the political will to keep all 17 in will overtake anything else, but I, I, I will disagree with Patrick. You know, I think... The Russians don't want to put any more money into bad Cypriot banks. They've been approached about this in the past. They're not interested right now in investing in banks that are insolvent. They're already rather frustrated that a 2.5 billion uh, euro loan that was given to the Cypriot government two years ago is now going to have to be restructured. Uh, they're not happy campers now. I don't think they want to put throw good money after bad. And I'm suspic- I, I suspect they go back to the original deal. I think it, that's I think that's where we're ultimately headed. Karen. I think Cyprus will definitely be in the Eurozone at the end of the month. Nobody wants to leave. It's been too successful. It's been, what, five years, and people have done very well out of it until two years ago. But I also disagree with Patrick. I don't think there's any Russian investor who's going to take over the banks, and I think the Cypriots are going to have to learn to live without their two biggest and what they thought were their best banks. Because I think the next thing that has to happen is that these two banks, Likey and Bank of Cyprus, get wound up. And that's probably what will be engaging everyone's attention here over the next month. Thanks, Karen. Thanks also to Patrick Jenkins and to Peter Spiegel. That's it for this week. World Weekly was produced by Martin Staber. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.